Welcome to Women in Academia podcast with Irena, where I will interview female researchers to understand the challenges that women in academia are facing today. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. Hello everyone. I'm very happy today to have on the podcast Andrea Sander Monan. Hello Andrea, how are you? Hi Irina, I'm fine. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being my guest. Can you introduce yourself to my listeners and tell me more about your current position? Sure. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Andrea uh, Sandermontan. Well, I'm a second year master's student at Concordia University in Canada. My master's is on research psychology and I'm currently on the track for fast tracking for the PhD. Uh, so I'll be staying at Concordia University uh, some other four or five years. And I grew up in Mexico City. I'm from a bilingual, biracial, bicultural family. So my mother's family is from Canada, is French Canadian. And well, my father's family is from Mexico. Uh, but I grew up most of my life in Mexico City. I did my undergrad in psychology in Mexico City. And after I finished my undergrad, I worked for almost five years at a developmental disorders clinic as a first as a therapy, as a therapist, and then as a therapy coordinator. So yeah, that's pretty much it. Thank you for sharing that. Can you tell me more about your background or like what brought you to the research? Yeah, sure. I've always been really interested in research. Ever since I was a little child, I was always very curious. I was always asking questions, trying to make my like little experiments. And then I went into psychology because uh, I found the, the topic very fascinating. But um, the academia scene in Mexico is not very broad. I mean, there is, of course, great researchers, but most uh, universities in Mexico are oriented to being a clinical psychologist or an organizational psychologist and like getting into the workforce as soon as you can. So there was not a big scene for research. So after I finished my undergrad, I started, uh, actually I started as a volunteer in, in the clinic. And after that I was offered to stay there uh, as, a, as a therapist, as a trainee. So I stayed there and I really liked it. I really liked working with the children and the families, but while I was working there, I always had like the little bug of research still. And I would always ask questions to my supervisor, who was really wonderful, by the way. Um, and I would always ask her, like, what would happen if we do this or that? Or what, like, why this is happening like this? And like, she she encouraged me uh, always to like, oh, well, you, you really have this, this mind for research. And you should you should pursue it so like at the end i decided to to go ahead and pursue it well here in canada because uh here the the academia scene and the research research scene is much more uh, broad and spread than in mexico thank you for sharing that can you tell me what are the biggest challenges you have faced and obstacles you have to overcome on your journey and if you had to start over what would you do differently yeah for sure as for obstacles, 
I would say, uh, two, two main obstacles. And I would say the first is the fact that, as I've mentioned, the academia scene is not very uh, broad in, in Mexico. So that also affects what my current supervisor, who is Dr. Krista Byers-Heinlein, um, always calls like the, the, the secret curriculum of academia or like the hidden curriculum. I don't remember the exact word, but it is this where like when you arrive to, to academia and you've never been in it and you, you don't come from a place where it's very big, um, you don't really know a lot of things. Uh, you don't know how to apply for programs. You don't know how to interview with, with supervisors, with PIs, like very basic things. Like when, when I first started like diving into the world of academia, the only thing I knew is I liked research, but um, there are so many things you, you really do need to know how to navigate. And um, a funny story is like when I started, people kept using the term tenure and I've never heard this 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 term before, and like I didn't really understand. And as a non-native English speaker, I always thought that they were saying ten year, like a decade. And I was like, huh, well, that's interesting. Uh, why are is everyone so excited about this person getting like a decade contract? I mean, it's great, but like I I really didn't know anything about it, and I didn't understand. And well, some of my classmates and my lab mates have families uh, who come from academia, like their parents are academics or their uncles or aunts. Or, uh, so they, they've been hearing it and dealing with it their whole lives. Whereas um, in my family, no one really comes from, from academia. Uh, they, they come from different fields. They have studied different things. So no one really, there was no one really there to like guide me <laughs> So I've been, uh, the first year was, was a steep learning curve for sure. So yeah, I think that that's been a, a challenge. And, and secondly, I think like, well, it's a, it's a topic that's been really uh, broadly talked about lately, but I guess imposter syndrome is also something I struggle with for sure. Just um, for those who, who haven't heard about it, but I'm sure most of you have, imposter syndrome is uh, this feeling where even if you're in a place where uh, you've already been accepted to a, to a program or you're already working in a place where like you, you need to have abilities to be in that place, you still feel like you don't deserve to be there, like you're not good enough, like you're there by accident or by chance. So yeah, having come from a background that's different from academia, uh, I sometimes still find myself very uh, amazed that I've made it so far, uh, like sometimes doubting myself, but I feel um, each day that passes that's like getting better. And uh, obviously, well, Krista, my supervisor, she's really, really great and she's very encouraging. So she's also, <laughs> Uh, pushing me to, well, to get past that and to to still be myself um, and, uh, yeah, to strive for, for great things. Thank you so much. Can you tell me how do you manage your work-life balance? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, that's, that's 
rough, I think, uh, for everyone, especially during a pandemic, even a little bit rougher. It's definitely something I struggled with uh, during the first year of my master's, especially because since I came from another world, really, where I was in the workforce, I was working on the clinic, and really the, the projects that I was managing, they were a lot of work, don't get me wrong, but the projects were more like short-term, were like, you know, get this report done by tomorrow or by uh, Wednesday, like two or three days. Whereas in academia, what's really different is like projects are, uh, you have to plan them with a, a year or two years in advance. Like if you're going to apply for a program or for a grant, you have to plan that with a year or more in advance. So that really was a change of pace for me. And I had had um, a lot of help from my lab mates, uh, from my supervisor to like be able to uh, organize myself and really I'm uh, currently supervising a thesis student, an honors thesis student and um, I was telling her the other day that uh, you know how they always say that in real estate the most important thing is location, location, location. I told her that when you're in grad school the most important thing is organization, organization, organization because really if you can't organize yourself if you don't have a system it's really easy to to feel stress it's really easy to uh, get things fall on the crack so yeah i like definitely striving for for being organized and um yeah and well how i balance that with with my my home life or my social life well i'm i'm married i actually married uh my high school sweetheart I've been with him for almost 11 years, but married uh, for almost two. So yeah, definitely being in academia entails being um, having a very supportive family and a very supportive partner because um, as you know, being academia sometimes entails uh, moving uh, countries uh, to pursue degrees, uh, moving traveling to conferences, uh, having like weird schedules. So yeah, obviously uh, having him being super supportive and uh, well, in, in the first place, asking him to move with me to Canada, which um, obviously is a big ask and he was so nice about it. But yeah, like that part being super communicative and honest and uh, being able to share what I do and what I love with my partner is very important. And um, while in the pandemic, I try to uh, keep a really organized and tight schedule uh, so that at the end of the day, I can do other activities and definitely hobbies, definitely things that are outside of the world of academia. I find them very, very important. Thank you. I agree with you about the importance of organization. Can you tell me more about your research? Yeah, sure. I would love to. As I mentioned, I'm a graduate student at Christus, Dr. Christus Weyersheimland Lab. Uh, so that's the infant research lab at Concordia University. And uh, in our lab, we mainly research language acquisition in bilingual infants, so very young babies. And my project in particular 
is about the the acquisition of word understanding in very young babies. So there's this this very famous paper uh, by Bergelson and Swingley where they found uh, word comprehension in very young babies, monolingual babies, uh, that were uh, as young as six months of age. Um, so what we're trying to do with, with our research now is to, to replicate that study, but in bilingual babies, uh, to see if we can find word understanding uh, at that young age as well. Uh, but also what we're doing that is uh, different from other bilingual studies, and that's also interesting, is we're using bilingualism as a continuous variable. So instead of having two separate groups, uh, monolingual versus bilingual group, and comparing their performances, we're using language exposure um, as a continuous variable where a baby might have 10% English exposure and maybe 90% French, and we will compare the results of that baby um, baby's word understanding in both languages with the babies who might have a more balanced exposure hearing 50% English and maybe 50% French. And what we aim to do with that is find out if those babies who only hear 10% of English understand words as well as those babies who hear maybe 50% of English or even 90% of English. Uh, so that will allow us to answer several questions like how do input uh, affect uh, uh, the development of word comprehension and also how much input does a baby need to um, achieve word comprehension because we really we really don't have a, a clear idea of of where's the if there is a threshold of exposure, language exposure that is needed uh, for a baby to start to to understand or develop a second language. That's very interesting. What are your hopes for your future research? Um, obviously, my like short-term goal is to uh, fast track to a PhD and uh, then continue with my studies uh, with the PhD with this project that I just told you about. And after that, I really, I mean, when I, when I came to Krista's lab a year ago, um, she asked me like, well, what are your plans for, for the future in research? Uh, what would you like to do after you graduate from your PhD? So I came like most students where, well, I would like to pursue like a very, typical path in academia, maybe after I'm done with my PhD, I might pursue a postdoc, and after a postdoc or two postdocs, I might uh, try to find a job in uh, a university and be a PI and have students. Well, she said like, well, that's all that's uh, a great and very well, and like we can obviously strive for that, but I always encourage my students to like, think about having a plan B or even a plan C because um, obviously thing happen, things happen and well, the market is very competitive and even if you have a, a postdoc or two postdocs, uh, sometimes it is hard to find a position in a university. And obviously that also needs to match up with, um, well, with what your expectations for your, for your life plans 
also are. So um, if you're moving for a for a postdoc, is your husband willing to move with you, like to one or two other positions? And if you get a position in a university, are you planning to like permanently move to the city where the university is, or uh, if you want to start a family, how does that play out? So so I started thinking about those questions and uh, also talking them with her and we also came to the realization that I'm very I'm a very creative person I really like uh, since I started on the lab I really started like oh I'm gonna design the logo for this and that and um, I'm, I'm a jokester I always make jokes at the lab meetings I'm always coming up with puns I'm very like lively I'm very talkative so she was like hey have you ever considered um science communication as a as a path and i hadn't i really thought about it and and it, it just felt right like i really love uh sharing science i'm always talking about my research explaining it to my family to my friends i'm uh yes i like doing creative things thinking about you know like marketing campaigns for things that doesn't even exist like things I invent in my head I'm always uh, yeah coming up with with jokes with creative uh, ways to explore a topic or explain a topic um, so so it just felt really right and and also it it, it would give me more flexibility with uh, you know uh, staying in, in in the same place maybe or not moving as much and like thinking about starting a family after I, I finished the PhD. So, so yeah, like right now, this path really seems like, like something I, I want to pursue and, and therefore um, I started, well, pursuing some activities on research communication. So right now I'm, I'm volunteering at Kotobu organization, which is, um, it's an organization that makes uh, comics and actually that's where I met Irina. Um, so comics made for, for parents, for teachers who wants to know um, more about their child's development. So it seemed like a perfect place to, to start exploring science communication and, and to see if I really like it and if it can really be, be a career for me. So that's, that's where I'm at. And um, yeah, I, I feel it's uh, very exciting. It, it opens a lot of, of possibilities for the future. Thank you for sharing that. Can you tell me what are the top issues you see women in academia face today? Yeah, I think several things. First of all, I feel academia is really a male-dominated field. And it gets, let's say, worse. It gets worse <laughs> as uh, you progress in your academic career. Like, when, when I was in my undergrad, I would say my teachers were maybe like 50-50. But then as I, as I came into my graduate students, like most of the professors are male. And most of, the, most of the people who are in high positions in the university, let's say deans, the head of the, the chair of the department, all male. Not, not to say that they haven't achieved great things also, but... It is discouraging as a as a woman researcher to come into places where you're you're getting higher and higher in your career and and you're seeing that that the people who are in in the high places are mostly male so so it is discouraging i think uh, also the fact 
that women are still viewed, although I think less and less, that's happening less and less, but are still viewed as the primary caregiver if they decide to have a family. So I guess that plays out in two ways. First, that, for example, when something happens like this pandemic and women are expected to be the primary caregiver or are the primary caregiver, then their careers get more more much more affected by things like this. Uh, we can see now that a lot of, of women researchers, well, production, which is really the currency in academia, is being really affected, for example, during this time. And uh, I think also being the primary caregiver or being expected to be a primary caregiver um, also plays out on the, on the guilt of maybe choosing a career for which you have to study seven, eight, ten years. Um, so you have to take that into account. And sometimes family is not very happy about it. And you have to justify yourself and you have to, yeah, really explain them why you, you chose this. Whereas I think men do not uh, have this stigma uh, or don't have this this second this doubting and second guessing of their career uh, so much uh, with their with their families being like, um, well, uh, you're gonna study, you're gonna be working uh, a lot, you're gonna study for for a lot of years. Um, so yeah, definitely, I think uh, those are challenges. Other other thing that comes to mind is um, well the fact that STEM in general psychology maybe a little less but STEM in general in in research where you need to to get math skills and uh, you need to get statistics and sometimes even programming like now I'm I'm learning to program in R even from from a young age girls learn that boys are better for are better suited for those things and i think if you ask young girls even like 9 10 10 years they will they will uh, rate themselves as being a worse at maths and worse at, at sciences that than boys and growing up with that feeling is obviously hard to overcome girls women get lower scores at standard standardized tests so like when you go and and do the GRE women are like getting lower scores and that obviously also affects the chances uh, of you getting into a a great school so yeah I I do think there are gaps and and challenges that we as women have in particular and that we we need to 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 work to get past that still thank you so much can you tell me what is the one piece of advice you would give to a young woman thinking about academia or to women just starting out in academia yeah i would say that the the biggest piece of advice is to just go for it because I think we, we, we grow, grow up with so many doubts and like imposter syndrome. And um, for me, it took a while to, to just believe in myself enough to, to try it, to, to say, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to try it. I'm going to apply. I'm going to write to these three or four PIs. And you know what, I'm going to write to the PI that I, I want to work the most first. And I, I'll see what happens. And I did. I, I wrote to Krista and, and I loved her research. And I, I thought of, of it as so uh, unreachable because I, I just like, I saw her on so many citations on so many, you know, scientific magazines and I thought it was unreachable and, and I tried it 
and and when you try it and you see uh, not only that you get it but you get the interview and she's telling you how great you are and how uh, you're gonna be such a great feed and then you you start there and and you're getting all these opportunities to 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 go to conferences and to work in in the comics and like i i really sometimes say like hey i you know everything was was going to be fine and and i doubted myself for so long and i was so afraid to to go for it in the first place and i prepared myself for you know two or three years i was like no i cannot apply because i need to get like more experience i need to get more publications and a great thesis and like of course those things are important but really at the end of the day they were just uh, procrastination coming from my anxiety that I was not going to be good enough that uh, that academia was not for me that that I was not smart enough and like yeah just overcome those things go for it see what happens and uh, I can assure you that that's going to be much better than you think so so yeah that would be my my one piece of advice to to just try and see what happens and and yeah you will see that that is is so great that's great advice thank you for that thank you so much for being my guest today it was a pleasure Irina, it was such a pleasure and thank you for for doing the, this podcast i've been hearing it and it's such such an inspiration thank you very much thank you good luck with your research thank you too that's all for today's episode thank you for listening